Welcome to Why Is with Ty and Dan. This week we discuss the Brie Larson Redemption Tour. Welcome to Why Is with Ty and Dan, a Marvel podcast where we try to figure out just who and what is going on in this cinematic universe. My name is Tyler Borland, and with me always is Danny Vincent. But it's not just me here, is it? It's someone else named Chris Seaman. Hey, Chris. Who are you? Hello, that is me. I am Chris. I, too, am a cinephile based in Pittsburgh, also novelist, um, performer, and I do a bunch of random stuff, and I'm excited to be here today. This Wise podcast is my random thing right now. We're excited to have you. I'm excited. Yeah, uh, welcome on. Yeah, this is a this is a special episode Thanks. too. So it's not we're not talking about Marvel that much, which means we gotta talk a bunch about Marvel right now, so that way the people who listen only for the Marvel stuff have something to listen to, right? Uh, <laughs> honestly, that's <laughs> why. Uh, to, to jump ahead a lot, our green ups this week. Tyler watched a Marvel movie. And the reason I said it was okay is because we didn't watch a Marvel movie this week. <laughs> but. Anyway, um, but hey, how do you how do you know me or Tyler? I assume you're going to talk about me because you don't really know Tyler. No offense, Tyler. <laughs> None taken. <laughs> yeah, so I actually met. <laughs> yeah, sorry, Tyler. I don't know you super well, but Danny, I actually met on on uh, on a box office forum. We've known each other for actually almost a decade now. Yeah. Eventually, we started. We started messaging each other on Facebook. I visited him for the first time in person, um, February 2019, just before a year before the pandemic went to hell. And yeah, we just kind of met online, been buds ever since. Well, I think you're forgetting a really big story, uh, not big story there, but not. So the reason the reason we brought you on here is because we went to Toronto together in the fall of 2019. And when we were in Toronto, we both we both saw in person who uh, Dustin Daniel Credin at the second showing or maybe it was the third showing of Just Mercy. I think it was the third. It was like the day after it premiered. I think it was the third only because I think it was a gala the night before and the gala they have two showings. Yeah, yeah. And that's where we saw Sound of Metal instead, uh, which Chris hates. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> And that movie that I liked more than oh, you. Yeah, than yeah, the one where we walked out and I was like, that was incredible. And you said it was okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I watched it again when it was on Prime and I was awake and I loved okay, it. Okay, Redemption. We'll, give, we'll, we'll allow that redemption here. Uh, but yeah, um, Chris and I... Brie Larson's not the only one getting redeemed Yeah, tonight. yeah, you're right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Chris and I, uh, when we were in Toronto, we uh, we went to a lot of stuff. We saw, uh, what did we see? I, I we saw Nicolas Cage. Uh, I, we I was trying to end on Jojo Rabbit. But I'm trying to think if we saw any other high profile stuff there besides Jojo Rabbit and Just Mercy. Uh, we saw Weathering with You. Oh yeah, yeah, we saw Weathering with You, which is a anime movie from the director of Your Name. I don't know if Tyler knows any of that stuff, but I know that a few of our listeners will because um, what's it? The the guys over at Committed Critics love their anime. Uh, that's enough for podcasts. We saw Proxima, that Eva Green yeah. movie. But she wasn't there, so she doesn't really count in my. Eva Green, Eva Green ditched Toronto. She didn't want to meet us. 
And by meet us, I mean stand in front <laughs> of us while we we were in the middle of the audience, audience, way far away from. Her. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we did see um, Destin Daniel Credin and Brian Stevenson, who's the uh, subject of Just Mercy. They did not give us a Q and A because Dan- Destin Daniel Credin had to go moderate a discussion with Jamie Fox and Michael B. Jordan. And he didn't want to hang out with us, but whatever. But it's okay. He introduced the movie, so. Um, but that's that's why we brought you on. Is, is that when you also saw when Taika spoke? Yes, that was where I had my... Yeah. my I don't know if... What yeah. word, I was going to say meltdown. It wasn't really a meltdown. It was uh, a overwhelming display of emotion <laughs> uh, where I started shaking and sobbing at the judging. same time. <laughs> Which I, I just remember, I just remember at that time I was working uh, for a newspaper and uh, Danny was writing in oh, yeah, uh, like weekly wow. movie reviews. And then he, uh, he texted me that week and he's like, Hey, my movie reviews will, uh, I think we didn't do them that week or we had, we had something, you know, like on file and, uh, and then he was like texting me in all caps. He's like, I just saw Taika Waititi. He spoke to us. And like, it was just, it was just one <laughs> sentence text that I was getting. Like, and I was like, okay, it was he's, great. he's really, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Chris, I will let you describe my reaction to it. Because I remember you being incredibly concerned about about my reaction to the end of JoJo Rabbit. I mean, <laughs> no, I still remember the night before. Like, you told me, like, I was I couldn't help but peek at some of the reactions. You told me not to share any, so yeah, because it had premiered the night it before. Was definitely a wild night leading up to that. Because the well, we got we got clarify for the listeners basically is when the we initial. Sorry. The initial reactions to Jojo Rabbit were kind of mixed negative, I discovered, after we saw the movie. Now, obviously, it eventually got nominated for Best Picture and won Adapted Screenplay. So it, it came around. Like, the, the reviews came around on it. But anyway, go on, Chris. No, I definitely saw some very good and bad things, but... In the end, we saw it the next day. Second show It was ever. actually kind of interesting because before the movie, they said that Taika couldn't be there. And then, like, we watched the movie, we both dig it. And then at the end, they bring out one of the producers, oh, on. no. Taika. No, no, no. And the kid who plays Jojo, Roman Griffin Davis. And what I remember was uh, so the movie ends, right? And of course, the director by Taika Waititi right. credit appeared. And then you were just sobbing the whole time. I was so worried about Yeah, you. but th- I want to clarify. This was before Taika showed up. I was starting to compose myself. And then Taika came out and it just all started going again. <laughs> <laughs> no, you, I know how excited you were about this. And I am so happy you got to see him. Yeah. <laughs> two minutes. And we made him cry, too. That's always the only time I was like, we made him cry. We gave him a standing O uh, for like a minute yeah. or so. It was a long standing out and like he started crying and, you know, in retrospect, I really was like, I think he was starting to cry because he probably saw those reviews and was like, maybe I made like something terrible or like, you know, offensive. But then he like got a standing out the next day. So it's like, wow, I guess, you know, and he and, 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 Jojo Rabbit ended up winning t- TIFF Toronto, uh, the Toronto Film Festival. And then it also won yeah, Choice. Yeah. So it, it won the the award for uh, at Toronto. And of course, it won a bunch of awards in award season. So. And it was really cool to be there at the beginning of that. Um, and also, 
to just go back to this a little bit, then we'll move on. It was also really cool to be at, like at the world premiere of Sound of Metal, especially when it didn't open for like another 13 months. And then eventually it got like so many Oscar noms and stuff, oh. you know, and it was like that was like a movie we just put in because like, oh, we like no, Riz Ahmed. Like, like, oh, this will get like a what? Sorry. No, sorry. I, it's hard to tell who's no, it's okay. who, That's how I but am. I was just going to say, <laughs> I thought this was just going to be one of those things where it's like, oh, it gets a pretty decent platform release in like the spring. Someone like Roadside Attractions will get it. They'll do well. Maybe a few critics noms here and there at the end of the year, but. It went way further than I thought it would. Well, I always... And it was at that point where it was like, you know, maybe I was wrong. And maybe I was too sleep deprived to watch this movie and fully appreciate it. Well, I, I would say... And we'll move on, Tyler. Sorry, I know this is kind of a big digression <laughs> we're going on. Um, but I will say, I remember thinking about the same thing, and I loved it, was that this is the type of movie that's going to open up in April and be like, um, what's it? The Mustang? That's what I remember comparing it to. Like, it reminded me of The Mustang and Leave No Trace. Oh, yeah, I remember hearing and, about that. And uh, they're both like indie movies that came out like in April or like in early summer. Had a lot of love for them, but then people obviously forgot about the end of the year. And I always think Sound of Metal itself is in this weird catch-22 scenario where you think about its possibilities is it could have come out without like pandemic or no pandemic. If COVID hadn't happened, it would have come out probably in April or May. Um would have got, as you said, like a solid platform release in the spring. And it would have done, been a very successful, I think, platform release that would have been released everywhere with subtitles in theaters, which would have been a big deal for representation. However, due to it being delayed to the end of the year and then not having a lot of Oscar contenders, it was able to get the push it actually like had the quality to go all the way for. But it didn't get that big theatrical release that I know the director wanted. So it's like a weird catch-22 thing where it's like, what would you ever have? And ultimately, you know, you can't ever say what you would rather have or not. I think I think we'd all rather not have a pandemic, right? So I think that's the answer. So No, it's just such an incredible underdog story, and I absolutely love it. So to get back on track, um, so what is your favorite Marvel movie? Now, here's the deal. You can have you can say your favorite is any Marvel property, which includes like Fox, Sony, whatever, but we also want if you pick a non-MCU movie, well, we also want an MCU movie to know what but you can only eat. it's up to you what's your favorite so it's favorite marvel movie that is from the mcu and favorite marvel oh, no, no. movie that isn't so what is your first let, let, let's make this easier overall what is your favorite marvel movie from anything so overall my favorite marvel movie and i hate choosing things that are relatively recent but screw it it's got to be Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Yeah i'm sure you've gushed about that movie plenty on that podcast but it truly is just Flippin' phenomenal. I love every minute of it. We, we agree. We haven't done an episode on it yet, but I'm sure we will at some point because oh, yeah. there's a lot to love there. Well, when Spider-Verse 2... Yeah, it comes out next year. Out. I keep forgetting Yeah, that. God, I'm so, so excited for it. When is it coming out? Uh, I don't know, man. It comes out... I think it's like October. Well, I think... I think I've got it down on a... On a schedule, I think it's October. Here. Let's see here. Spider Verse Two. Spider Verse into the Spider Verse. This time it's personal. This time, Spider <laughs> Spider Verse. I don't think actually. I don't think I have it. I don't think I have they it. They should now. title it Spider Verse into um, the Spider Man. Our... Spider Verse into the Spider Man. <laughs> and it's yes. like Fantastic Voyage, but with Spider Man, and they all go inside. Peter B. Parker to fight like I don't know 
like a spider parasite. I don't know. Uh, okay, so besides that, you're yeah, reaching. So besides that, what is your favorite <laughs> MCU movie? Um, if we're talking just strictly the yes, MCU, it has to be just the MCU. Um, so funny we mentioned Taiko Itd earlier because I think my choice might be Thor Ragnarok. That's yeah. fair. I think it's, because I think it's. I think we're all with you here, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> it's just super unique on every level with its place in the universe, but it no doubt feels like a perfect fit. And I love the characters. I love how they create Thor. I I don't think I ever loved Thor as much until he first appeared in this movie, and that just cemented my love for him. It's got a lot of. It has a lot of what makes YTD film so fun, but also plays with this universe so well. And it's intelligent on top of being just creatively designed and a blast to watch. Super hilarious. It's It's got a lot going on. And it. what I love about Ragnarok is, sorry, I'm gushing about it's this. Okay. Lot, good. It really is we love talking about Ragnarok. Anyway, go on. Um, but I kind of love how it it kind of starts pulling back the layers on sometimes the things we revere as icons and touchstones within our culture and our civilization sometimes come from a place where real harm and abuse was laid out. Yeah, no. No. It didn't, like, a lot of the colonial themes in Thor Ragnarok didn't really hit upon the first watch, but now that I'm kind of revisiting it, it's, oh yeah, this actually makes sense, shit. No, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I've always said that on this podcast, I always say there are only like three Marvel movies with themes, and one of them is Thor Ragnarok. Uh, and I've always been like, I'm going to do a deep dive into that someday. And sure enough, I'm sure we'll do it before Love and Thunder next year. So, you know, that seems like the, yeah. the best time to do it. <laughs> what are the other two? Uh, I also love the, uh, I love like in chronological order, I love where. Thor Ragnarok is just it's this super fun ride the whole way through. And then the next movie, um, well, movie next movie you can watch is like Infinity War. And those two are just so such like polar, you know, um, opposites because of what Infinity War leads and to. Speaking of but, Infinity War, that's a great seg to our next no. question, Tyler. Thank you. Um, yeah. So this is our new question for everyone, which is. You had to, are you team Endgame or are you team Infinity War? What is the better movie? Hmm. You gotta prefer one of them. Call me basic, but I think it's Endgame. Like, it's kind of hard to compare the two directly simply because they're halves of a better story, but I feel like Endgame has this clearer directive of what it wants to be. I think part of the benefit that Endgame has is that it has a stronger core of characters that it can focus on, whereas Infinity War spreads itself kind of too thin, and WandaVision hadn't come out yet, so Wanda and Vision weren't that interesting. <laughs> My god, you're like, you're dropping like my Infinity but War I, take on the, the here. I've actually kept, I agree 100%. I'm just like, whoa, I didn't know we agreed so much. This is exciting. I think... Uh, <laughs> No, we've. I've known we've. We agree on a lot of things. That's why we're friends. We gotta fight, man. but I'm gonna say it right now. MJ Luca was terrible. Really... No, I'm kidding. Luca. <laughs> <laughs> Go on. Go Down. on. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but for real, Endgame. I think 
there's this feeling that it's just kind of capping off everything in a grand fashion that wasn't really there in Infinity War. Infinity War was just kind of throwing all the pieces together into... Actually, this is a good analogy. Infinity War is getting all the puzzle pieces and pouring them out into a big pile and flipping them up. It's kind of busy work, but it sets the stage. And then Endgame is the process of actually putting the puzzle together and seeing what's there in the end. Nice. I... I can get that. Yeah, yeah I like that. Yeah, it's analogy. a good one. Um, all right. So our guest last week, Luke Foster Hayden, has a question for you. And this question, you will answer first, and me and Tyler will answer because we didn't answer it last week. So the question is: Ooh. Which Marvel film? And I assume this means just the MCU. So keep it to the MCU. So which Marvel MCU film do you think will hold up the best in 20 years? Like looking back 20 years from now, which of these films will be considered the great film? You can only pick one MCU movie. Or the greatest. Hmm. That's going to be a tough If you want Tyler to go for Oh, you can I go. Actually... If you got it, you got it. But we can, no, we can go no, first no, no. if you want us to. I... Only if you have an answer. I have an answer. I don't know if Tyler does. Yeah, I've got. Yeah, one. we've we've known this all week. We 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 got our answers ready to go. <laughs> we just sprung this on you. Okay, I have okay. an answer, and this might be controversial, but you go first. Uh, or I can go nice. first. Uh, Tyler goes first. There we go. That that resolves. Screw it, okay, I'll go no, first. okay, you can go. <laughs> go. Okay, I'm going to talk about why Captain America, the first Avenger, is going to be widely regarded as one of the best Marvel films in the coming years. Okay. I think even now we're starting to see a lot of takes about how, wait a minute, this film is actually really good. It has, I haven't had a chance to revisit it in a while, but it kind of is one of the biggest cornerstones in setting up the Marvel Cinematic Universe, maybe even more so than Iron Man, if I'm being so bold. I mean, like, part of it becomes, like, it's literally in the title. He's the first Avenger. But I think it kind of sets up that adventure and intrigue through the universe in a way that not a lot of films can. But as a whole, it stands really well on its own. It's it's an adventure movie that's inspired by a lot of films of past, both like 80s Spielberg adventures and some of the war films of the 40s and 50s. But on top of that, it just kind of combines everything into creating something that feels actually really unique and new. But again, this nice. is something that I haven't visited, had a chance to visit in a while. But I think Captain America, the first Avenger, is undergoing a lot and jay probably talked about it with a little bit more depth than i did but oh definitely we were, we were here for two and a half hours be <laughs> something that really grows <laughs> yeah then uh all right uh tyler do you want to go first or want me to go on my answer yeah I, yeah i can okay. go um i i think that the first avengers film um will be one that that uh will hold up hold up in 20 years um thing I like about it the most is and like when we had Danny, when we had talked about this with Tori um, in that, when we visited that, that movie um, we talked about how like this could be on TV and we would be flipping through the channels and then, you know, see it on and we'd be like, okay, yeah, I'm going to watch it. Um, And it's, it's one of those films that you can, 
hop into it at any point and it's it's enjoyable to uh watch now like the beginning i will say like the beginning after you've seen it so many times it's like the beginning seems to drag a little um until they get all get on the uh helicarrier but uh it also to me that it's it's a it's the well it's the first time that we do get mark ruffalo's hulk and um i think it also serves as i know it's not an origin story for any of the heroes but it hops into the world automatically like we are as the audience we are able to assume that these are heroes that already exist in the universe you know what yeah. i mean it'd be like if we watched uh spider-man 2 like uh sam raimi's spider-man 2 um just hopping into it without like the or you know the first uh spider-man film um with toby Maguire. um so so yeah or like uh x2 because if we were able to pick any marvel film i'd say x2 would would be well, um, best in I, 20 I don't think years. it's just because well, of how old the it reason is, I wouldn't you know, say that is I don't um, think it's it, I think that's a cheat of the and I think you agree because you just said it but yeah X2 it is X, yeah I think the point of this question and this is me kind of just reiterating what Luke said last week and more mm-hmm. of a clarification for the listeners they missed last week is we're talking about like this grand MCU experiment what a film is going to come out of this with the best reputation um at least of the yeah, release I, films yeah of course. I think uh, we can't really be like. I think, uh, think Chung Chi will do it. I think in game, in game, I think in game will definitely have its mark. But you've got to have every, you've got to have the build up to in game to fully appreciate in game for what it is. So yeah, I think that uh, Avengers, 2012 Avengers, or in some parts of the world, Avengers Assemble, <laughs> is uh, that's the um, one. Okay, well for me, first I want to open with an apology to a certain film. And to Luke, who assumed this film would be mentioned by one of us, we are sorry, Black Panther, that none of us are going to mention you. <laughs> we are sorry. I I thought about I thought about it, but I was like, it it bounces right off the back of Civil well, War, following the death see, of uh, T'Challa. So here's the thing. Here's, here's the thing. For me, it has nothing to do with the, yeah. the MCU. It has nothing. So Ryan Coogler already has better films they're gonna age better than black panther he has creed in and of itself mm. taika no yeah tons that are gonna age better than thor ragnarok as much as i love thor ragnarok i think and this is me agreeing with our guest last week in a way but on for same reasons i think james gunn's best film or at least most idiosyncratic film remains guardians 2 and i look at the stuff that gets reevaluated constantly in this it's more the thing that gets remembered more is the thing to take a wild rest. Like I know Tyler, you hate that I bring this up. I legitimately think the last Jedi will remain the most talked about blockbuster of the last decade for still years to come. I think that, that like that movie left a huge mark. And if you want to say it's good or bad, that's up to you. And I think guardians too, which isn't nearly as divisive or at least not nearly as loudly divisive. <laughs> Nowhere near as loud about the divisiveness of it. Um, I think its flaws are so interesting because to me, the flaws of Guardians 2 are like there's weirdly random monologues in this movie. It's so weird that it got past the Marvel like formula for that to happen. I think what Guardians 2 is about is much more complicated than even Black Panther and Thor Ragnarok. You know, those are the three I always say are the ones that have themes. 
I think Guardians mm-hmm. 2 will continue to age like fine wine, whereas the other films that don't necessarily have any depth to them, like, you know, they won't really. And then, as we've said before, like, I think I think Black Panther and uh, Thor Ragnarok can be improved on with second outings from their directors. Although, of course, with Black Panther will be difficult without Chadwick. Um, I have to give that disclaimer, of course, because I don't want to disregard that. But for Guardians, I think regardless of what Guardians 3 is, the fact is it is not going to be a sequel to Guardians 2 entirely because Gamora's gone. We're not going to get a follow-up. Basically, Guardians 1 and 2 will always remain a duology. And in a way, Guardians 3 will be an epilogue. Now, granted, James Gunn could prove me wrong. And James Gunn could also release another great movie. I'm like a movie better than Guardians 2. I'm seeing his new movie tomorrow. But I do think that Guardians 2, at least so far, the films released are the ones that has is the one that has the most directorial stamp on not only the direction, but the script as well. And that is why I think it will stand out 20 years as the best film by like film scholars. At least that's how I took the question. So that's where I am. Um, So, Chris, we don't know who our next guest is. We don't even know when they'll be on. Let's be real. (laughs) But we do want you to give us a question for them. Uh, do you have a question about the MCU that you're willing to give? And then can you answer that question uh, with your perspective? Okay, so this is going to be maybe a weird question because it's it's very creative and open-ended. Okay. But here we go. My question is, if you could take any live-action film from the last decade and just say, hey... This is now a part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. What would you choose and why? I was really worried for a second. I was like, is this Caveat, an MCU question? It cannot be like one of the Fox Marvel films, like Deadpool or X-Men, and it can be a DC film. That is a good question. Like... I like that question yeah, a lot. <laughs> I'm glad we have 10 weeks to think about it. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So what is your answer then? Okay, so my answer would probably be... um, (laughs) And this is partially an answer to mess with you, Danny. Okay. But... (laughs) Do you know how to make one of your least favorite movies worse? I am talking, what would happen if you made Hereditary a Marvel movie? Yeah, I would, uh, do you regret to inform you that Danny has just left the Discord chat? This is his... Stop it, Craig. That's not Craig. <laughs> That's Danny. Or is, is, that, no, believe is that Bono now? He's going to be my British Siri voice. <laughs> Now routing you to Takira Zed. Uh, sorry. Uh, okay, our hereditary in the MCU. Uh, I mean, you know, you, my, my okay. opinion on I'm not Scorsese sure would be a little mad about that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Just I try not to make Scorsese jokes on the pod, but you set that one up perfectly. <laughs> uh. No, there were like a bajillion films that came out, like, and I literally like 
at that point, I was just like, eeny, meeny, miny, mo. But just imagine, like, Payman being, like, the ultimate Marvel villain and just all, like, the weird, like, just, I don't know, imagine some weird WandaVision shit with that. Yeah. Sorry if I can't curse on this. It's okay, we'll bleep you if it's an issue. <laughs> we'll just put, we'll, we'll just bleep out uh, all your dot. No. All right. All right, we have, uh, I think, that's a good question. Honestly, this is so incoherent. No, it's okay. Yeah, that, that's but, a really good question. I'm, I'm like, rattle, uh, I'm like, I want to, what, what can I put in the MCU? I want to just <laughs> say an answer now, because I know 10 weeks from now I'll have a better answer. But right now, my immediate thought, after you said Hereditary, was Us, the Jordan Peele movie. Uh, that was my immediate thought. But I'm now that I've said it, I can't have that be my answer in nine weeks. So well, I will come up with something. My that. my immediate my immediate thought was uh, Top Gun, just because <laughs> Danny doesn't like. I that don't movie. dislike Top Gun. And, it's a three out of five. And like, and like the beginning, the beginning of Iron Man, like with the the Humvee shot, is it's it it just I don't know. It like reminds me of those of the 80s action action films right. um, so now we can't pick yeah, top gun but, or us what you also can't pick top gun anyway tyler because the question is if you can take any live action movie from the last decade so you're, you're oh it is from the last decade Ooh, that is good yeah you're disqualified or at least top gun is 21 jump street there no yeah, <laughs> with captain marvel you know by the time we do the next episode as far as we know it will oh, be yeah. uh, it will be over a decade old i don't know anyway we'll move on that's a good question, though. It really is. It is. Tyler, do our All right. So moving on. Now we will move <laughs> on to our discussion of the films of Destin Daniel Cretton in anticipation of his MCU directorial debut with the theatrical release of Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. All right. So uh, Destin Daniel Cretton, who I want to preemptively apologize to because I'm sure at some point on this podcast, I'll refer to him as Daniel Destin Cretton. I always mix the two up because I feel like Destin sounds like a <laughs> part of a last name personally. That's just me. Uh, but anyway, he has four films he made. Now, me and Chris watched all of them. Tyler watched one of them. So we're going to end on the one Tyler actually watched and we're going to do a little mini discussion on the other two, the other three. So the first film he directed was called I Am Not a Hipster, um, which was self distributed and it's about a guy who is not a hipster. <laughs> <laughs> it's not just about that but in, the end, <laughs> in the end he discovers that the real hipsters were the friends we made along the way uh i'm curious okay because you 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 uh i didn't actually read your letterbox review chris but you seem to be a little uh mixed negative on it when you texted me about it so i'm curious on your thoughts first and then i'll, I'll give mine and then we can hash it out i mean it. i wouldn't say negative I wouldn't say negative. I would just say that it was one of those films where it's like, it has a lot of nice elements and, and like the main performance, Dominic Bogart, he does a really good job and we'll go a little bit more into that later, but maybe it was just like, again, like sound of metal syndrome where I got like no sleep the night before I watched it, <laughs> but it, it just it was good it was good but like 
didn't do a lot for me personally. I think that's the best way to put it. So, well, before I get into real talk, because I actually will, I'm about to go into this somewhat. That's what's so fun about this podcast, I feel like. I'm just going to say it right now, uh, is that I get into real talk a lot when we talk about... <laughs> This is gonna sound bad. When we talk about non-Marvel movies, I generally can pivot really well into real talk. But like these shows, uh, I guess with Wandavision, Not I talked about grief and like what is what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. What is grief? But if not love, persevering and all that jazz. Um, but I'm gonna get pivot into real talk. But first, I want to say, even ignoring like my emotional response to this film, is that and Chris, I believe so too. No, you hadn't seen Glass Castle. Um, but I had seen all of Dustin Daniel Credence films before. I Am Not a Hipster is the only new one I watched this week. All the other ones were rewatches. And I think looking at it from a filmmaking perspective, it is so impressive that he came out with his style. Pretty much what his style is. And this is still his style in Just Mercy. Like it is a fully formed like filmmaking style, writing style that to me, I really like. And I think I Am Not a Hipster has his least likable lead character. But I also think, at least where I am right now in my life, um, I don't know. It's I, I don't want to be like, I'm depressed on this podcast because I feel like that's putting a lot on myself. But I think I emphasize, I always mix up, empathized a lot with the character in this and where he was at in his life the dead end nature of it. And like, yeah, he's like a, he's not a terrible person. I don't want to say that because he reminded me of myself. I don't want to be like, I don't want to be like, I'm a terrible person. No, no, I'm not. I'm not. I know I'm not. Don't worry. Uh, But I don't want to, but I want to say that like, um, I think it's an interesting portrayal of how people push people away from them when they're not feeling great and i think the ending i like the ending because it's not like and everything ended happily ever after it's like uh he he can he can function and maybe just maybe he can move past this place in his life and if it sounds like we're being vague about this it's it's not by this i mean the movie not not about my personal life i'm being vague about my personal life on purpose Uh, but if it sounds like i'm being (laughs) it sounds like i'm being vague about the movie it's because it's it's kind of just like a meditation on grief with a musician um so there's not i would say that with until short uh until just mercy i don't actually think any of credit's films are heavy on plot um they're more like character studies and even just mercy is a character study just is plot based you know there's a plot to go around with it i don't know i i liked it i also just like indie movies that has me that have nice music so i was like oh it's it's got nice music i feel emotional at points in this it's it's a great i think as a debut i always like the great debuts on curves i think it's a really good debut it's not a great debut it's not like get out but it's like (laughs) not many debuts are get out so (laughs) I don't know. I thought it was solid. And I think for what it was made on also, it was pretty good too. I think it was a very low budget film. I don't know. Do we want to discuss it a bit more, Chris, or shall we move on to Glass Castle? Um, I was just going to say that it kind of does. One thing that like, I think it's the first sentence in my Letterboxd review, which I said it's a three, but kind of thinking on it more, it's maybe closer to a 3.5. I was just going to say that the thing that really caught me was not necessarily just DDC, 
as a writer, but as a director, because kind of like you were going, um, main character wasn't exactly super likable, but one of Crenn's greatest strengths is that you still feel for his characters, even like the ones who are kind of antagonistic or or are sometimes push other people away. And he has such a great eye for working with visuals and music, just knowing when to, knowing how to frame the actors to really just bring us into their headspace that I think that's what kind of put me on a path that he could definitely make something like Short Turn 12 after this, and he definitely did. And, and Short Turn 12 was like later. right uh, after this, which is really cool. Like, no, it's, sorry. Well, no, they're, like, they're just like really close to each other, that's all, in terms of production, especially considering how big a yeah, break was there like, was between Glass Castle and Short Term 12. Um, but anyway, I think we can move on. I don't, I don't actually have a lot to say about it. I'm not a hipster. Uh, so the next film that, uh, Dustin Young Credit made was Short Term 12, which we will talk about later because we're going to talk about a lot more than these other two. But then after Short Term 12, five years later, um, a little something happened called Brie Larson won an Oscar and became an A-lister overnight, basically. <laughs> and as such, she was able to bring her director on Short Term 12 onto a big studio production of The Glass Castle, which is based off a best-selling novel uh, memoir, I believe. It, it is. I think it's a memoir. Uh, this woman, Jeanette Wallace. Um, and it's got Brie Larson in it. Yeah, Jeanette Wallace. It's got Brie Larson in it. It has Carnage in it, her fave. Yeah, that's right, Tyler. You missed Woody Harrelson. I you yeah, missed Woody I Harrelson. Saw that, yeah, <laughs> uh, and it's got Naomi Watts in it too. Who is she's whatever. In it. I actually always forget she's in it. And then it, like I watched it and I was like, oh, she's in it. And the next day I was like, who is she again? And she plays the mom. She's just very forgettable in it. It has also weirdly. This is me going to fanboy about Succession for a little bit. It has Sarah Snook who's on Succession, which is really excited. And it also has one of my favorite young actors working today. Bridget Lundy Payne, who I don't believe I've mentioned them once on this podcast before, but they are a great actor and I'm very excited to see their future in Hollywood. I don't know, Tyler, if you saw Bill and Ted Legit, 3. When I saw their name in the credits, they're in Bill and Ted I've 3. not seen any of the Bill oh, and well, Ted. That's the only movie I think they've been in that you might have seen. So, But go on. Sorry, Chris. Gotcha. No, it's all good. I was just going to say, when I saw their name in the credits, I just knew... Oh, you definitely lost your shit over this. <laughs> well, okay, this was actually so, before I knew them, though. Last, last, I, I actually was introduced to Bridget Lundy Payne when they they had a really good supporting role in Action Point of all movies. But anyway, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to thirst for Bridget Lundy Payne on this podcast, so we can move right on already. On that. <laughs> uh, oh, believe me, you're fine. <laughs> so. This is one of those movies where <laughs> I'm talking about Glass Castle again, not the movie that d- with Danny's favorite yeah. actor. <laughs> um, Glass Castle. Yeah, the Glass Castle. No, I was just going to say, I actually read the book in AP English, the memoir that it's based on, and I I really kind of fell in love with it. I know we were kind of d- talking in an earlier episode about how you made Dear Evan Hansen into that naked Europe movie. Yeah, okay, okay, okay. Let me, let me, well, let me, I, can I explain a little bit? Let me explain a little bit on that. So, yeah. last summer, if you remember on this podcast, if you listen to our Dear Evan Hansen podcast, um, 
I worked on an outline for what is called for uh, Dear Evan Hansen as a movie, and I cast my fan cast. Now, that was for an online game that Chris and I both play, actually, where we write outlines for our movies and then we cast them and then we um, simulate the box office and have our Oscars. It's kind of like a peer review thing for writing in a way. And it's also just it's, it's a fun way to goof off. I feel like I don't know. I like it to to a degree. <laughs> to a degree. I won't go any further than Danny, that. Danny, yeah. did you? Did you push my uh, uh, Bill Murray casting? This was this was this was uh, your Bill Murray casting was giving me a year after I the Oscars already happened, buddy. <laughs> I won Amy Adams oh, a fake Oscar okay. though, so be happy for me there. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so the reason I'm bringing it up is because I actually did adapt this this book into a film. Um, Way back when movie. I was, the game was running in high school. I think it was the year Blank and I met. <laughs> um, it might have been. It I actually like, did I think something it was a little early. bit different. So a lot of the movie focuses on Jeanette as like an adult, hence her being played by Brie Larson. But I did a lot of focus on her childhood years. So I actually had Chloe Moretz play her. Well, I um, actually, okay. Okay, you say that. I think the movie is still... And- I think the movie is still like 70% childhood, you know? I think the movie is still pretty more yeah. her childhood. But go on, sorry. No, it's definitely like... Oh no, you're fine. No, but there wasn't even like... It was just a little bit at the beginning and end where she's played by an adult, but... um, I actually had Paul Bettany, good old Vision, play the dad, and I think Robin Wright Penn was the mom. So who'd you have for the dad? Sorry, Oscars. Paul Bettany. We love him. Uncle Frank. I actually got him to win an Oscar <laughs> for it. Nice. Fake Oscars. They're the best. Paul Bettany, but, Amy Adams. We love you. Get get them all the fake Oscars. <laughs> give, them, yeah. give them all the fake Oscars. <laughs> <laughs> I actually got Chloe Moretz to win an Oscar for it, too, believe it or not. Oh, wow. Um. Okay. But let's no. go back to the real movie. No offense. <laughs> let's go back. But, <laughs> no, I was just going to say, so I was kind of shocked that I hadn't had a chance to see the movie yet. It just came out like at a kind of like insane time in my life. But I really love the book and I was excited for the movie. And it's a movie that I have very, very mixed feelings about. I think there are some times where it kind of captures like kind of like the tragic beauty that lives within the book where it's this eccentric family that there are moments of like absolute wonder and it seems like everything's just so wonderful together but also these were two deeply flawed and dysfunctional characters who were at best misguided but well-meaning but at worst legitimately dangerous for these children and I think like kind of the stuff that happens in like the flashback is much more interesting than what's going on kind of with Brie Lar- with like the scenes with Brie Larson in them. Like don't get me wrong, like Larson's good in in it, but it's just much more interesting when it focuses on Wall's childhood. And then it's actually kind of funny. Um the ending, which I think you said way back when you saw it many years ago, you said the ending was really good. I did. I, not I need to look up. I need to look up what I much. said. I thought like because I I haven't looked at what I said. I, <laughs> I have not looked at my take on this. I back. think basically like. Oh, I'm gonna open. I'm opening it. Don't worry. Keep talking. I'm looking at what I said because I have 
no idea what I said. And I'm very worried about what I said. I was like, oh, I don't, I don't know if I, I was. No, I get it. Uh, basically, I don't want to spoil it too much, but I feel like the ending kind of defaults to. So what I like about like Short Term 12 and The Glass Castle is that. No, Short Term 12 and I'm Not a Hipster is that they end on kind of like reserved bittersweet notes, but are ultimately hopeful. The thing about the glass castle is that it feels like what would happen if you take those and kind of force more of a studio-mandated happy ending. So basically, I'm not going to spoil it too much since it's not completely happy, but there's just some... I feel like the ending kind of just undoes some of the tragic points that a lot of the first two-thirds of the film makes, if that makes sense. And it just kind of backs things into a corner of where it's just saccharine and happy and doesn't really feel learned. I disagree. Like, and like, that's not to say that like, <laughs> like, entirely happy, because... But just, like, I, it's hard to go into depth without, like, spoiling too much, but... Is it okay if I spoil, like, kind of, like, well, just Well, can I get my stuff? thoughts first before we talk about that? Can I give, can I give my thoughts that aren't the ending? Go ahead. Uh, first, I think Bree's good here. She She's not the lead. She's better here than she is in Just Mercy, which, of course, we'll get to. I'm so sorry, Tyler. We, we'll, we'll get to Short Term 12 at some Agreed. point. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, I will say that I think Woody Harrelson's very good here. Uh, I think... Bree, as I said, solid in a smaller role. Um, I don't know. I think it's an interesting movie, not only in structure, but also in like, I feel like for me, the whole point of the movie is to show Woody Harrelson's character of everything that's wrong with him, everything that's bad, but also paint him sympathetically because he's suffering from basically, um, well, not basically, he he's an alcoholic. Um, and I think... I don't know. I think talking about the ending is weird, even if we were to spoil the ending, you know? Because I think the ending to me is like, as you're saying, it does, on surface, at least to me, yeah, sure, it does feel like a, this is the happiest ending possible for this story. But to me, it's all kind of baked in this tragedy of this family and how we can't really divorce our love for people for like, I say we when I haven't dealt with this personally, but it's about Woody Harrelson's character is abusive. Um, but it's about how you can't really divorce your love from them anyway, even if they are. Abusive. I actually think going to this after short term 12 is very weird in a sense. Cause I think they're both saying very different things. Oh yeah. But I think it's like, also I like a different perspective that to me, I think credit's trying to say, this per and I'm not saying Harrelson's character's perspective valid. I'm saying Larson's character in this, the perception is valid that eventually you are going to want to forgive everyone. Otherwise, you're going to live with hate forever. Type of thing. I don't know. We can talk about the ending more, or we can move on. I don't really think there is a clear answer to the ending in the Glass Castle. Like I definitely like get that, and I'm not saying like I'm not saying like. She's wrong for how she feels. It's just part of it's like also like I didn't get that vibe from the book or at least like 
the book did a better job of making me like making this making what happens at the end feel believable rather than just Hollywood magic of love. Well, uh, I don't I don't like books. It is kind of complicated. I don't like books. So <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> Tyler like, just looked up for the first second <laughs> is that you hate books. How dare you? <laughs> I don't sorry. <laughs> uh, but I won't I read a book, like, but so I'll like, read a screenplay. I, I don't read like, screenplays either. <laughs> um I mean reading's reading. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I say at work all the time. Like, um I don't know. I don't I unless you want to talk about say, it more. Sorry. No, you're good. If you want to talk about more, we can. I I don't know. I'm trying to get the short term twelve so that way uh Tyler can talk. I feel bad. <laughs> okay. I think, like, I think the best way to put it is, like, if you want to see the story, read the book. Uh, I think the and best... And now, Just Mercy? I think, well, I want to say that I never read it. I thought it was a solid movie. It's not... It's not his best, obviously. It's not his worst, in my opinion. Um, all right. Yes, we will talk about Just Mercy now, which we saw at the third showing ever... Now, Just Mercy is a biopic that is based off the memoir of Brian Stevenson, who is the um, founder of the Equal Justice Initiative, which works to get um, convicted felons, whether they were rightly convicted or not, off of death row, because the death penalty is bad. Sorry to drop that take, but it is. <laughs> Sorry. Um... I think Just Mercy is interesting because I think actually Just Mercy is weirdly his most anonymous film. I think Glass Castle feels more like what I think of when I think of Crudden. But I also think it's a very solid film in the sense that it's the type of star vehicle that doesn't really exist anymore. And I think Jamie Foxx is great. And I think Michael B. Jordan, this has always been my hot take since I've seen it, should have been nominated for an Oscar for his role because it's... As I said, it's a movie star performance, but he does build back, peel back these layers of himself that allows him to be very quietly emotional and like just give the camera a look that will immediately like make me like feel really tense type of thing. I don't know. I think it's a it's a good, it's a great performance. And I think the movie itself is a it's also the way I was going to say it is the glass. All the other movies are focused on the character. Just Mercy is focused on this case. And how the case affects its characters more so. So I, I don't know. It's a good movie. No, that, hot take. All these movies are good. <laughs> no, I. No, I definitely noticed like there's definitely a switch flipping between like the short turn 12. I'm not a hipster and the glass castle. Just mercy phases of Destin's career. And of course, after that, he's doing a Marvel movie. But <laughs> I will agree that this is. This is a really good film, and it's not the kind of film you think, like, oh, this would apply to Destin's strengths, but kind of like I'm Not a Hipster, and even just all his films, there are some really just quiet moments where it kind of focuses on the subtle nuances that the actors give and how Cretton directs them that really allows it to shine more than maybe like a more formulaic telling of the story you would and i agree it's it really is michael b jordan who makes this movie and how yeah and and just he he's able to lend like a really tender compassion to 
every frame and every emotion he just sells perfectly well inviting us to emphasize with all these characters whether it's whether it's people on death row or people who are trying to just navigate a treacherous court system but yeah it is, i also think in terms of like sorry is, in terms of like a social it sounds bad a social justice movie but i do think there is of course a genre of oscar bait that is designed to bring attention to social justice i think this film does a phenomenal job of positing this is why the death penalty is wrong this is um why we need to look at this issue harder the way brian stevenson has and i i think it's you know it's very powerful and strong in what it's trying to do there so person yeah especially after watching like that scene yeah. you know which one there's I'm a, talking there's a about. scene like, in the middle of this movie that does how can you own. watch that and think it's okay yeah it's a very it's a 20 it's, minute stretch itch of the death sentence being carried out it's very hard to watch it's very emotional it's very well done it is the yeah it is the best part of the movie no um and to that point i will say another take rob morgan who played herb he deserved a best sporting actor nomination uh i would say sure but this time actually this time I watched it at the end when spoiler spoiler I guess at one point Jamie Fox like just collapses into tears and that just really got me. Uh, I think Jamie Fox should have got some attention here too. and he did get a SAG nomination, but I think he should have gone all the way to the Oscar. Um, so. No, I still that's... remember that whole Oscar stretch. It was like Hanks, um, the two Irish guys, and Brad Pitt who was going to get the fifth slot, and Jamie Fox might have gotten it. But no, it's just like it's one of those classically made, but with a deep with a solid modern touch from Dustin Daniel Cretton. It's it's the kind of Oscar bait that shouldn't work anymore, but it does. Yeah, if that makes sense. Exactly. I get what you're saying. All right, Tyler, and we're going to talk about short term 12. Short term 12. Yay, Tyler. <laughs> Tyler, you get to go first because you haven't talked for obvious reasons. <laughs> okay. Um, so it's been a moment. <clears throat> so I watched Short Term 12 today. I'm sorry, I'm laughing because you just cleared your throat because you're like, all right, I got to talk now. <laughs> go on. <laughs> um, so yeah, I watched Short Term 12 today and like, I. I've not been a fan of like, I liked Brie Larson in 21 jump street. And then I told Danny, I was like, I did not like her in captain Marvel. And now after seeing her in short term 12, I'm like, okay, she's a good actor. She is, she is a really good actor. It must be the writing or the direction for captain Marvel for it to be what it was. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, it may also be like Marvel trying to shove a hero down our throats in the middle of the infinity conflict. But anyways, um, that's not on Brie. That's not her fault. Aggressive comments. That's not her fault. That's not <laughs> all on passive her. aggressive comments aside. No, it's not on her. Um, uh, but yeah, no, she was. Uh, yeah, she was. I don't want to say phenomenal in this, but she like she had multiple plot lines going through that this character was dealing with and yet she she kept it going and i i really liked uh, this is both 
written and directed by uh DDC yeah, I, as he, Destin told me he wants to be he, he um he, he does do that but, that's a good way for me not to worry about mixing up his names honestly DDC like I won't, DDC I won't, I won't yeah. mix them up um <laughs> he he does write all of his own films just so you're aware yeah, mm, does, okay I, I yeah I saw that on um I saw that on I am not a hipster yeah, and he's writing but I well he has co-writers yeah. I believe on Just Mercy and Glass Castle but and gotcha. on Shang-Chi but yeah, he does write all of his own stuff normally. So, and I yeah, I liked I liked that, and also like from the beginning, I noticed this this film, the shaky cam, is very noticeable, but it's also like it feels natural, like it's part of of the whole experience, mm-hmm. and it doesn't feel um, like it's forced on us, and uh, and yeah, and I I love. I love how we start the film with a conversation. Just a group of people wait, getting wait, together. We're, to we're talk. gonna stop for one second. And then we're gonna stop for one second. Yeah. We are definitely gonna spoil this talk, this movie. So if you have not seen Short Term Twelve, immediately turn off this podcast until you can go home tonight and rent it on something and watch it. Because yes, it is. Yes, I rented it on uh, Prime, so I know that you can get it there. Yes, so watch this yeah, movie. I know it's on. Right now, I'm looking. It's on Peacock, Hoopla, Peacock, Hulu with ads, mm-hmm. Redbox with ads. It's on free for a lot of places. Yeah, just watch it. Yeah, it's with good. ads, just just watch it. It's it's really good. It is actually my first film that I I would give a five out of five. Um, and I'm not a professional film critic at all. I mean, take my word for what it is, but, uh, I did also give tomorrow war <laughs> one out of five that's, or a half out of say five a half is a better grade. quarter one out of five, five. quarter. I was like, I think I gave it a half out of five, a quarter, you get a quarter out of five. <laughs> um, but, uh, it's a half out but, of 10. But wow. yeah, no, like, yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> I have that as it. Um, it's the one film that I put on a 10, 10 point grading scale <laughs> and it gets a half point. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, no, like, uh, short term 12, I really liked, uh, I, I don't know. Like there was just a lot to it and it, it was like, it's not a sci-fi film. We're not having to force ourselves to believe something we're not having to buy, you know, something that is uh, is being shown to us like, oh, yeah, oh, I can I can step into this world for so long. Um, it's not superheroes. It's it's just everyday life for these people who work at at this. Uh, at this it's, this place called short term 12. It's not necessarily. <laughs> yeah, I was like short term 12. Yeah. I was like, it's not really foster. It's not foster care, but it's very it's, similar um, to it. We can it. just say it for the um, listeners. Um, it's yeah. a um, it's called short term twelve. I don't don't know where the twelve comes from. I I always thought it was because um, like there are eleven other ones in whatever district they're in. At least that's how I always read it. But it could also be the twelve months that they're supposed to be limited to. Is that when the state doesn't know where to put a child, they get put here until they ever find foster parents or until they find mm. relatives for them to live. It's a short term care center that can last up to a year, but they also say doesn't really matter. Like for example, Marcus, which is one of the major characters in the film, they say he's been there three years and he's now leaving because he's turning 18. 
um yeah who's played by lakeith stanfield in a really young role where he's my, my take on this film is not only yes i agree with you tyler it's a five out of five film um it also probably has like one not only the greatest one of the greatest casts of modern memory because pretty much everyone in this movie went on to be a big star but it also features like their great their best performances like brie larson hard to find a better performance than she's here lakeith stanfield phenomenal yeah. no it's easily her career best yeah. rami malek i honestly like him more here than i've seen him in any movie now i haven't seen mr robot which everyone tells me is great so i'm not gonna say it's best performance ever but i think it is his best film performance it's just everyone in here is like caitlin dever another person who's become like all these are names that are becoming either big or becoming big already the only one who isn't is john gallagher jr who i feel bad for all the time watching this movie because he's really good in it too He's um. He was in something in two. Was it? He was in 2016? ten Cloverfield Lane. He was in ten Cloverfield Lane. He was Field in Lane. even what? Yes, ten Cloverfield Lane. Yeah, mm-hmm. I really liked. But like he that also one. But. just does feel like one of those stars who's like, you know what? I'm not really interested in like becoming like a big deal. I'll just keep doing my indie stuff, my weird kind of small scale projects. Yeah, I'm sure if uh, I, I'm sure uh, if Dustin Phil, wanted wish... him to work again, he'd be like, yeah, come on board. Oh wait. Can I quickly make a side oh, note? Absolutely. Can I quickly jump back a bit? I'm sorry, Tyler. Yes. So I wanted to say this is that so the lead of I am not a hipster, right? And we'll go back to church and fall. Don't worry. The lead of I am not a hipster. <laughs> Tyler just walks off. <laughs> the lead of I'm not a hipster cameos in the glass castle as someone who tries to forcibly have uh, sex with Brie Larson's character. Uh, and then he cameos in Just Mercy as her husband. I just want to point this out because I think it's very weird that he has those roles in consecutive films. I think it's very weird. I'm just like, I, was like I, I get that you're friends with the director, but these are like the most opposite roles you can have of Brie. And it's weird. Would it would it be safe to say then that uh, DDC's films are not all set in the same universe? Yeah, no, then, the, right. there are three Brie Larson's running around in this world. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but yeah, um, sorry, back to short term 12. I just wanted to, I like I want to have that on the record. Joining the sad millennial initiative. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I was just making a joke like, I'd like to talk to you about the sad millennial initiative. Brie Larson, Brie Larson, and Brie Larson together at last. <laughs> um, yeah, when when all three films like their universes collide, and it's just Brie Larson <laughs> with Brie Larson and Brie Larson. Yeah, no, it's, there's just a parallel universe where everyone is Brie Larson, like this podcast right now. It's just. We're all Brie Larson. We, we, oh. need, we need Brie Larson. We're all variants of Brie Larson. That's what it is. This is, this is the Brie Larson show. I'm Brie. This is Brie. This is Brie. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Um, there is also probably a universe. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think this movie is weirdly also like to me, it's steeped in so much emotion. Like there are scenes in this mm-hmm. that are just like, I want to cry at, which like, they they literally will just happen like you know like i think of specifically when john gallagher jr visits his foster parents and gives them a toast and i almost start crying even though we literally just met these characters like his foster parents because it just feels mm-hmm. so real and it's not only actors it's the honestly i think the script is like so good uh i think mm-hmm. every character has so much depth to them and even if they're not on like i specifically rami Malek's character he's 
mainly the comic relief, but he has a moment with one of the kids in this that just makes me like emotional thinking about it. Uh, it's like the moment he first breaks through really working there. And it's just such a nice little moment in the movie. And it's also, I noticed actually on this watch, it's definitely there because the movie is such a downer at one point that we have this one scene for Emmy Luck in there that like brings the mood up a bit and then goes back to being like such a like, oh my gosh, this is so sad type of thing. Um, Remy Malek, like it, like his character threw me off because, but he plays it so well, and I think his character is supposed to do that, and oh, because yeah. that, like the three, the three of them that are already there, they know how the how the whole system works. They know how they need to. They know what they need to be for the kids, and um, they know what they need to be for each other. And then Remy Malek comes in. I mean, on his first day on the job, and he's got a tie. You know, and tucked in shirt and uh, what everyone else is is just a lot more casual. Um, but like he he is totally like he comes in and he's just this. I want to say he is he's he's a popsicle. <laughs> among, <laughs> he's what a popsicle among. I don't know. I don't know what else. I was going to say maybe breadsticks. He's a popsicle among breadsticks. I'm making I'm making like Loki level metaphors here, but uh, he's a popsicle among breadsticks. Where like he's just kind of like just like among cabbage. He's he's just he's the he's the head of cabbage among the lettuce. Like he's just he's just kind of like. All right. Um. This is this is what I'm gonna do. This is what I'm gonna say, and then the Marcus blows up. At like him. Mark, Mark. <laughs> yeah. Like when he's introducing himself, he's like, uh, he says, "I I've always wanted to work with underprivileged kids," and immediately Marcus, who's quiet most of the time, is like, "What does that mean?" And it just calls him out on it. And like I'm like, yeah. It's I just it makes me wonder. Like, number one, it sets a shared history between the characters who were already there at Short Term 12. But then it also, it makes me wonder, like, were they like Remy Malek's character when they first came to the, you know, is, is that, that I'm how all about, the new blood acts? The thing that I'm always you know? curious about with Bree's characters, because I think, obviously, I don't know how old she was at the time, but I don't view her as, like, anywhere over, like, 28, you know, as how she looks, you know? And I'm like, wow, she mm-hmm. got to such a high position here, like, so quickly. You know what I mean? So she must be super qualified. And I think she she is really a great... It's one of those things where it's like her performance no, she, is great, but you're also just realizing, like, how competent she is at her job and how much you like her for that because it's a hard job. It is a really hard job. I can say that yeah. working with kids that, you know, aren't necessarily... They aren't anywhere near what the kids are in this movie. But the fact, you know what I mean. You, you know where I'm going. These kids are yeah, come from yeah. troubled areas. What? No, I, I get what you mean. Yeah, I, I'm being Rami Malek right now. The underprivileged kids. No, you know, like, I'm, I am Rami Malek. All right, popsicle. Yeah, go back. Let the breadsticks. Well, what talk. I think is also great about that is even before Marcus like snaps at him, as soon as he says the word underprivileged, I'm like, oh no, what are you saying? That's such yeah. a bad thing. As to soon say as he to said it, kids. I was like, no, no, no. no it's like. It kind of goes back to, I think, just the ultimate purpose of Nate is that he's kind of like an audience surrogate. He's coming into this world just as we are. Yeah, and yeah. kind of like us, he has some preconceived notions about what this world is. While someone like Brie Larson, they've been in it 
long enough that they know their way around, they know what to do. When they're saying like things like level drop or you're at green, um, the characters will know what that means, even if we ne- don't necessarily. So I think they, kind of going back to Rami Malek, it's how you do a uh, surrogate character to the audience and make him like interesting and believable within the scope of this world. We kind of stay with them at the beginning, even though he kind of flounders away. Not necessarily like well, that's good in my opinion, but he's just not quite as present. But I think the movie like gets to the idea that like yeah, we need him to get into it, but after that, he can just become comic relief. You know, he allows us to introduce this world, but the stories with Bree and John Gallagher Jr. and with Marcus and um Jaden. I don't know why I forgot her name. That line about Will Smith is great. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, there's a line where they're like, he, she's like, Breely's like, Jaden's a great name for a girl, and then she's just like, Caitlin Dever is just like, uh, Will Smith didn't think so. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah. Uh, what was I gonna say? With um, I actually think there's a scene in this movie that is such a, like a cry- the bed the bedtime story just like annihilates mm, me yeah just like oh oh yeah and again like there's such a great performance by everyone this this is like as i said again one of the best ensembles i've ever seen in a movie like period like everyone in here is great mm-hmm. it helps that they're all great characters they're all written to be great characters memorable character i think an actor who i don't know the name of but the guy who plays luis he's very good in this too and he's not in it much he's very memorable so Oh no, even like the supporting characters who are in it for just a few moments, they're they're freaking great. And I, I think it's part, a big reason why is because this DDC gives them the space to be. The fact that, kind of going back to what I was saying about I'm Not a Hipster, where even in like some of the more like unlikable or distant characters, he allows space for empathy to exist and invokes that into his script and his direction of the performances. And just kind of think about everything I've said that I love about him, those quiet, subtle moments of just letting the body language of acting do the talking and leaving and just giving these characters the space to breathe and express their true selves. I think it all just comes at its full power here in short term 12. And that's why it's, it's as good as it is and why it's easily his best film. Yeah, no, I agree. It's hundred percent. Um, I think, yeah, I agree. This it's, it's really, that's the thing is to me, I always want to talk about short term 12. I just want to be like, it's such a special movie because it really is. I, I, I don't know how it happened in a way. Cause this is really his first, I don't want to say so Brie Larson, right? She wasn't big in 2013, but this was after Jump Street. This was after Scott Pilgrim. Uh, Remy Malek, of course, has always been popping up in movies. He was in the Knife Museum movies. Like these are all actors who are semi-established. Oh yeah. Um, but not enough to anchor a movie. And of course, after this movie, I believe, like I don't know when Mr. Robot premiered, but I think this was like the big thing he did before he got Mr. Robot. Um, of course, Brie Larson blew up like a couple years later and got an Oscar win became our Captain Marvel. And, uh, of course, um, Lakeith got Atlanta. You know what I mean? Like, all these people blew up down the road. Uh, and it's just, oh, yeah. like, they're all so good at it. Like, I, I've barely talked about Lakeith in this, uh, who plays uh, Marcus. And 
what I always want to, what I think about with Marcus in particular has actually nothing to do with Lakeith's performance, but it has to do with how well a character that is etched in for us with his performance and with the writing is that at the end where, the, when they tell the story about Marcus, I see the entire thing in my head. I don't even need to yes. see Lakeith. Yeah. I completely see his character doing everything that he's saying. And I'm just like, this is, I can't think of another movie like that where it ends with a monologue about another character and I can completely see that character doing it. Uh, no, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of the... I don't want to say a lot of these. I would say almost say all of these characters bring a physical presence to the film that their like their action adds tension um or or it allows you to like see into view into the into the characters heads as to what's going on or get a sense of what they may be going through like uh when Brie Larson is leading the uh group group uh talk with everyone at short term 12 um she's sitting there and she's listening and we get this uh zoom shot of her twiddling her thumbs and we we know that she's her mind's somewhere else you know yeah. she's there she's physically there active in this conversation but her mind is on something else which we find out what that is later um but it's just so it's little like 3 second shots like that that really just give us this sense of like instead of needing a whole scene to set something up or a conversation to set something up, you know, for exposition, it's just this really nice, like that's a hundred percent direction. We know something is phenomenal direction. Mm -hmm. And the camera knows also when to like linger on things like just Brie Larson's like face or like one thing I always think about in this is um, when she gets the call or rather uh, John Gallagher Jr. Gets the phone for it. Uh, The phone about her dad's going to get out of jail and he says oh i'll go get it and they're both in bed and then when we cut back brie is just sitting straight up in bed staring out the window wide awake and i i I think about that shot a lot because it's like i don't know to me it's devastating in its own little way that she's already there are so many shots in this that to me convey so much despite Mm -hmm. like it just um it's just like two people sitting together or stuff like that um I also think, well, I don't know. I want to talk about the ending a bit before we get to, to it, but we can talk about that because we haven't actually talked about, in my opinion, we haven't talked about if this movie has a main plot, we haven't talked about it, which is the stuff with Jaden, really. I think she is actually our, the Jaden, um, I don't know why, Grace, Grace, that's Brie Larson's character. Jaden and Grace's relationship to me is actually the, I don't know if it's the heart of the movie, but it's where the main plot of the movie resides. Um. I would almost say you're it gets a little into um it gets a little into like your sitcom format of like you've got an A A plot and a B plot because we've also got Marcus's stuff that we spend a lot of time with. It's basically well. I noticed well, actually that Marcus's stuff gets at least it seems to gets resolved yeah. maybe about 30 minutes well, in and, and that's uh, when I Jayden was just shifts. about to say Sorry, I was just about no, to say I, we've I, also got that stuff with like, with Grace and um, I can't think of his John Gallagher Jr. with Mason, yeah with Mason, Mason. yeah with those two we've also got that yeah. in it as well. I, there's there's a lot to this. Film. That's what I love about it. <laughs> no, it's definitely a different cadence of plots, but they all blend together. It's 
well enough paced to fit into a good 96 minutes. Yeah, side note, that's only 96 minutes, which that's is what, nice. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's phenomenal. What a great 96-minute film. Uh, I, I I said this also but off mic. Is that, I would agree that. I'm sorry, go on. No, no, go go on. I was going to change the subject. I, I was just going to say I would agree that probably like the plot that gets the most weight at at least from my perspective is definitely that of Jaden and how she starts to connect with Grace and kind of just unravel everything that she's been through. I also think like this movie like. I don't know how to put this. It's like, it's intense. And in I'm thinking now of the scene where Jaden runs to her room uh, when her dad doesn't pick her up for her birthday. And it immediately jumps to Grace, John Gallagher Jr., Remy Willek, all just trying to get in, trying to make sure she doesn't hurt herself. And it's so intense and so, like, emotional to me. And, and then, ugh, it's just... It's such a good movie. It really, like, that's really where I'm like, ah, this movie is no, so it's phenomenal. Uh, such a great film. Um, and it's the type of film that, in a way, I'm always like with this movie. It's such a bummer that, as much as I do like the Glass Castle and Jess Mercy and I assume like Shang Chi, if he could deliver another movie like Short Term Twelve, I would just be like, but I also think Short Term Twelve, in and of itself, part of the reason it's so good is because we don't see this world in movies. Uh, and that's what makes it great is that it's this portrayal of a place that we never see and it's being done in such a cohesive manner and yet in such a short time that you never get bored with it. You get these great characters and they're all memorable and it's, it's again, I, again, I think this is Brie Larson's best performance. I think this is Lakeith Stanfield's best performance. I think this is Rami Malek's best performance that I've seen. I think... This is Caitlin Daver's best performance that I've seen. I think everyone in this movie who is a big actor gives their best performance here, basically. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure if we said her name yet. Uh, she's not one of like the biggest roles, but if you watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine, where I've seen In the Heights, um, Stephanie Beatrice is also in this. Yeah. Um, but she kind really- of going back to your earlier comments, sorry. No, you're good. Go, go. You're good. Oh, I was just going to say, um, I think in like the hands of like a lot of other directors, this could have easily just been kind of maybe something along the lines of a white savior film or something that just constantly like talks down or condescends to its subjects. But, but it is definitely a bit of a tightrope walk, but DDC just walks across it and brings all his actors with him in flying colors. It's just such a rare balance that completely transcends what it easily could have been and might have been with a lesser director. And like you were saying, I really hope DDC can make another film like this. It's yeah. I'm not sure if it's going to come in the form of Shang-Chi, but we'll see. I don't think Shang-Chi. Uh, but I also don't think I want Shang Chi to be like this movie. I I would say if Shang Chi was oh, as no. devastating as this, I'd be like, oh my god, what's going on? How did this happen? <laughs> I want a fun time with Shang Chi. I don't want to necessarily be like staring at the wall for like twenty minutes after it's done. <laughs> um, I don't know, Tyler. Is there anything else you want to talk about with this movie? Or Chris? Um, Tyler first. I don't, I don't know. I I don't, I don't think I like, I don't think (laughs) I I don't, 
I don't think there's anything that uh it's I think Crudden's filmography that, that I can think of like it's it's just I I'm still still taking it all you know taking it all in I think I'm still uh, processing processing it it um I've not seen a 5 out of 5 in a while so yeah nice well it's okay it's all right like it, I don't actually oh. think well no 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 I'm saying it's all right that you don't have a lot to say because I do think short term fall the first time I saw it I was just kind of like wow I watched this right before I went to Toronto actually because I remember I had seen Glass Castle in theaters and I was going to see Just Mercy and I was like I should probably see the movie that everyone has actually like everyone's like this is amazing you know and then I watched it I like mm. was crying I think in the library I think I saw it the library and I was like oh. <laughs> I was just <laughs> sobbing in the corner um. Chris, do you have anything else you want to say about it? Because I have one thing I want us to end on before we move on about this movie. But if you have a thing you want to talk about with it before we get to it. Um, and if it's what I want to talk about, who knows? We'll, we'll, we'll go there. Is there anything else with this movie you want to mention that we haven't? Um, It's just... I don't want to spoil the ending, but... Uh, there is a it, it's one of those movies that has like a parallel ending to its opening shot but there's just some subtle differences that I don't want to spoil but the differences in how that ended how the ending is blocked and how it's shot it's just it's one of those more subtle details in the movie that just completely broke me but in like a more positive manner if that makes sense I don't want to yeah. get too far into depth with it just because I don't want to spoil it but well it really was a nice touch what I will say is what I want to talk about is come on, some of the spoiler is that I think the one thing about this movie you didn't talk about that I think is really interesting is that it goes, in my opinion, it goes pretty big at the end um, in a way that you wouldn't think would work. But I think Grace as a character is developed to the point where what she does near the end of this movie involving a baseball bat is um, it feels earned. In a way that a lot of our movies could feel like it is way too big to go, considering the scope of what's before it. Um, but I like it. And it's like, to me, it feels emotionally earned, which is something that is really hard to do with something like that, in my opinion. I'm being vague again, because we want people to watch this, even though we already gave him like two no, spoiler warnings I... about it. So, yeah. <laughs> No, I just want to say I agree with you, Danny. And honestly, my first time I watched it, like, this was, like, my one issue with the movie. I just did not, was not a big fan of that scene. But it went a lot better this time around just because of yeah. how it felt, especially with the scenes leading up to it. But that's all I'm going to say. All right. It's just a great movie, and I think we're all just, all really want you to see it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right. Yeah. So, would you first, Tyler, you'll get this one first. Yes. Uh, would you Danny. rewatch Sure Turn 12? Yes. Nice. Yep. I'm uh, considering uh, showing it to Felicia because I think she'd like it too. Oh, yeah. I actually, yeah, I should have. I feel like I should have mentioned it too. I do think she would like it a ton. I think I think everyone would like Short Turn 12 a ton who's into, who works with children. That's another reason I really attach yeah. to it. Um, now, Chris and I have a little different question to answer, which is would, which of the Dustin Crudden films would we rewatch? And what would our Dustin Crudden rank, Daniel Dustin Crudden, the Dustin Daniel Crudden rankings be? Do you want me to go first or do you want to go first, Chris? 
Um, you go first. Uh, I would definitely rewatch Short Term Twelve. I didn't say this on the recording, I believe, but Short Term Twelve, in my opinion, is the ideal movie to get a Criterion Collection release because the current release is really yes. bad. Uh, it I don't know how many Blu-rays were made. Uh, it's made by a small distributing company. Uh, it is a very well liked. It's not a debut, but it's like the second feature. Um, and I think it could do a Criterion release, maybe in a couple years when it has its um, 10th anniversary. That will happen. That'd be amazing. Um, I would like to have a good copy of it. I don't want to buy the current copies of it that are available because they're really bad. Um, so I would definitely watch it as well. I still think I don't think I'd revisit Hipster or Glass Castle unless they were um, I was doing another run like this. But Jeff's Mercy would rewatch with my parents, maybe. Other than that, I don't really know when I want to rewatch it. But I would rewatch Just Mercy with my parents. Um, my ranking would be from worst to best. Uh, the actually the order we have it in the doc, which is I am not a hipster, is the worst. But I still liked it. Then the Glass Castle, then Just Mercy, and then Short Term Twelve. Um, all right. So what about you, Chris? So I'm with you there on wanting a Short Term Twelve Criterion Collection. Only if, like, the cover is just Rami Malek. <laughs> <laughs> just a painted image of Rami Malek. It's literally, I'm just going to Photoshop, like, a terrible... I actually, I wonder what the cover... In all seriousness, I wonder what the cover of the Short Term 12 criteria would be. I would maybe do the octopus. I would maybe just put the octopus on the cover. I could see it being, like, the octopus. Yeah. Or, like, some kind of, like, drawings. Yeah. I don't know. But anyway, sorry. Uh, I really like the theatrical poster for it, actually. Uh, Which is the one where they're running after the kid. Yeah, that's a good poster. That should be the current cover, honestly. Um, would you rewatch any of the other films by Crichton? Um, yeah, I would. I would. I would rewatch. I'm not a hipster. Um, um, just because, like, partially because, like, maybe I'll get more out of it second viewing. Like I said, Sound of Metal Syndrome. Mm-hmm. Um, Glass Castle, I might rewatch after I read the book. After I reread the book, maybe. Mm. Just so I can kind of, like, get a sense of, like, how they compare more. Also, it's been, like, ten years since I read the book, so it might be worth revisiting. Just Mercy. Part of it's, like, that one 20-minute scene we were talking about earlier is just so skirmish to watch and but it does hold up well on my second watch so i'd probably rewatch it with like parents family like maybe at like a social event yeah community event but my ranking so your, is pretty much the same of yours okay so you're going it's short term 12 um just mercy then hipster then glass castle gotcha so we're the same on the top two. That's what's that's where it matters. That's where it matters. The top is where it matters. Uh, yeah. All right. Indeed, so next we have indeed it does. We have a part where it's called predictions for Shang Chi, which is more like what in short term twelve and specific for Tyler, but for us the other two, what in Crichton's filmography do we want to see come out in Shang Chi? What what is the directorial stamp that we want to see arise from this? I don't expect we'll get shaky cam. Um, it does have a different DP. There's a different director of photography yeah, on Shang Chi. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say I don't. I, I don't think Marvel would would allow something like that. Now it would be cool, like a Disney a Disney Plus show, if we 
did something with shaky cam, you know, because that that just seems like a more experimental. <laughs> You're going to say, honestly, but, um, I just plus show about short term 12. <laughs> I'd be like, I mean, I'm down, yes. but I don't uh, know if Disney <laughs> Plus is the right network for that. <laughs> right. Uh, but uh, but uh, yeah, it's. I think we're going to get we'll get some really good um, character character work. Um, I really hope that we get like what I talked about earlier with with the nonverbal communication um you know, with uh, like the uh, Daniel, uh, Daniel. See, Daniel? I told you I mix them up. <laughs> I just use your full name. <laughs> oh, Danny? I thought you were talking about Destin Daniel. So that's why I was so like. No, no. <laughs> uh, Dan- Danny, uh, I don't know if you did. You, did you take a uh, voice and movement two? In, I think I did. Uh, I think I was with you. At SIU. Yeah. It was the like the one with Tom. Oh, no, definitely it not. Was, Sorry, okay. I, I, I took, never took a there class. Was Tom. One, That's how I knew. Sorry. Oh wait, no, it was intermediate. It was intermediate acting. That's the one. Okay, so like in that one, it was supposed to be acting for camera, but they like something with the school. They were like, "We're changing this or whatever." So it was intermediate acting. Um, but uh, we talked about how you can still, even when you, like when you're delivering your lines, you can deliver them even stronger. Um, through nonverbal communication. And uh, so that's like uh, pre- what are like presses. Um, if you're pushing, depending on like how you're distributing your weight when you're walking, um, if you're like pressing up against something like a door or a uh, wall. Um, and then if like, say you're like fidgeting, you know, with your fingers, um, like what we see on camera with Brie Larson in that scene. I hope we get I hope we get that in uh, Shang uh, Chi. Uh, we've got we've got some tension between Shang Chi and his father. So and his father is perfect relationship. You know, his father is worth noting is being played that. by like what's considered to be one of the greatest, if not the greatest Hong Kong actor. <laughs> I, I want to say alive. That might be a bit too much, but he is a very well renowned actor in international cinema. Uh Mm. like i don't know how many awards he has but he's very rewarded very well regarded and this is his first american film yeah. um which is exciting you know for a lot of reasons and it's to me it's exciting because he's working with credit who we know can yeah. build these get these great performances out of he, his actors mm-hmm. um, well and i think that i think that uh ddc is also a great pick for um an origin story yeah because this is the you know this is this our first origin movie since uh captain marvel oh yeah well i mean you say yeah. you say that like it's we've had a lot of movies since then though we really haven't <laughs> we have well no it's just been so long yeah yeah yeah. if you want to count yeah. the like wandavision stuff with um spectrum you could but that's not a movie it's also not yeah. the focus um yeah yeah that yeah that's more what i'm saying is like when we've got something as the main as the main hors d'oeuvre entree i don't know my food lingo yeah but um yeah yeah okay um chris what do you think what do you want to see from credence filmography in the mcu and i want to say this because i didn't make this joke with tyler you cannot say a good performance by b larson 
<laughs> so you're asking basically what you want, what I want Cretan to bring to the Marvel universe specifically in Shang Chi. But yes, what do you want to see? What what part of his style do you want to make sh- see in um, Shang Chi? Or rather, what do you think you will see more? Not not. It's kind of both, you know. What do you think you will see, and what do you want to see, type of thing. So, kind of what we're seeing is even like some of the more like singular directors who've worked with the Marvel Cinematic Universe so far. Like, of course, they're gonna adapt what they do to the Marvel formula, but I, it's like Cretton. Cretton's interesting because I'm not sure I've seen a director yet who seems like so disconnected like a total 180 from the kind of person who you would think would do a Marvel film. But where I'm also kind of going there is I'm curious how it uses dialogue since a lot of the strong moments in some of Cretton's past films come from when it focuses on the actors rather than the dialogue and lets the camera just kind of linger on them. And the cinematographer of the film Bill Pope, he's done a lot of cool work. He's done The Matrix, Spider-Man 2, Scott Pilgrim. He is the most exciting cinematographer in quite some time Marvel's gotten, in my opinion. Like, very exciting cinematography get. Oh, absolutely. Um, Yeah, he also did your favorite movie, Baby Driver. We don't talk about it here. (laughs) 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 We don't talk about that. What always uh, cracks me up is when I get the I last night in Soho trailer. It says from Edgar Wright, director of Baby Driver. And I always just laugh because I'm like, Edgar Wright's such a great director. Stop marketing one of his worst films. <laughs> <laughs> uh, although one other thing that I'm actually very curious about is that the fact that Joel P. West, who composed all, so what I was gonna of, talk about, yeah. all four of Cretton's films, is actually doing the music for this. And I think this is one of his first, like, major blockbuster it, films and nothing it is like, his first. i guess a little yeah. bit of summer just mercy has shown like a bit more like range but like it's definitely not like the kind of composer you think would do a marvel film but at the same time i'm intrigued i think he's gonna do something really interesting yes i wanted that's actually what my thing was what gets me excited about credit and shang chi is that i see that outside of cinematography he's actually brought on most of his collaborators it has the same editor of his movies was Nat Sanders, who was nominated for doing Moonlight. And the idea that the um, editor of Moonlight is doing a Marvel movie is just so crazy to me. And then also the composer. I think the idea of the... Because comp- I actually think the music in Short Term 12 and his other movies are all good. They're just very indie, obviously. Um, I think the idea of him going from that and having no experience in the blockbuster realm and doing Chung-Chi is like, oh, this is going to be really cool. Because even if the composing is bad, it's going to be him... He's going to, you know... He's going to try, you know, he doesn't want this to be a bad score and he's doing a big movie. Like, I'm very excited to see what comes out of that. Um, as for credit himself, I just want to see the same emotion brought to this family story that Shang-Chi seems to be about. Because I think the one throw line in all of Credit's films is strange relationships with parents. The only one that doesn't have that is Just Mercy, but there's still a lot of stuff in there about your relationship with your family. And I think that is why he was probably hired for Shang-Chi. And I think 
it'll be very interesting to see how he does that. I also think it's exciting because I've seen Crichton do interviews where he's like, I know I'm not known for action, but I want the actionist to be great because it's about Kung Fu. So I'm excited to see how much he really put himself into this because I don't think it's a quick paycheck for him. You know what I mean? I think he's doing this because he legitimately wants to bring Shang-Chi yeah. to the big screen. I think that's super exciting because I don't I, I think Coogler was probably was like that, too, with Black Panther. But the difference is Coogler had already proven himself in this realm with Creed, because even though Creed isn't like an expensive blockbuster, it is still a franchise film um, mm-hmm. with Creed. And he's being like he's when he got hired, I saw people being like, why did they hire him and not like an actual like action director for a Kung Fu movie? So I'm excited to see what he has to bring to the table. Um, but yeah, that's where I'm at with cool, cool. DDC and Shang Chi. DDC and Shang Chi. All right, Chris, we loved having you on. Um, Thanks. Yeah, uh, it was great to be here. Yeah. yeah, we we love having we love talking about movies. Maybe next time we'll have you on for something that's actually about Marvel. We don't know. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. We'll see how the schedule. We'll see how the schedule lays out. Um, but where can people find you if they want to find you? So, um, I do have a Twitter account. Um, my handle is as in Baklatan, E Z E N E A K L A T T A N. Fair warning. I am. I am very trash, <laughs> but. <laughs> Ah, no, we can't have you ah, back here. No. Take no. it from the chat. Tyler. But I also talk about Luca a lot. I talk about Luca a lot. Okay. Do what, Danny? I said kick him from the chat. Oh. You're an oh. admin too, Danny. You can do it. Uh, maybe you can just leave okay. out my handle <laughs> no it's okay it's okay uh, but um no, no, anywhere else we can find you but yeah um i i stream on twitch a little bit tuesdays and thursdays generally and that's pretty much it but i am working on my uh, own website too and i'm hoping that my debut novel is going to be published next by end of next year nice i'm really excited for your novel. nice uh i do want to say i know there's another place Thanks. you can though um uh we can find you because i follow you on letterbox what's your letterbox we, we talk about letterbox actually a decent amount on the oh, show yeah. my letterbox is just oh yeah duh probably should have mentioned that uh where is it where is it where is it where is well it? we just talked about movies we want to know your thoughts on movies right so i presume we can find oh yeah of course my letterbox is as a is called um spaghetti forever it's like four E V E R, but it's also as an E Z E N. So whatever you find, okay, you cool. should be able to find me, and I'll drop the link on the. W- well, never mind. That won't really apply <laughs> to most people listening. It's to okay. This. Um. All right, Tyler, sign us out. All right. Thanks for listening. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much where I'm at. Thank you so much for yeah. having me. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for ha- thanks for <laughs> thanks, I was gonna thanks, say, for, thanks having for having us. us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for coming on there we go <laughs> and thank you to the listeners for listening to this episode of why is with ty and dan we can be found on various podcasting platforms including spotify apple Podcasts, pandora and on our website why is with ty dan.buzzfrat.com you can also contact us with the 
I can never say this part right. It's so annoying. I know. I don't know why. So I don't know good. what happens. I don't we know gotta, why. I have we gotta such keep failure. it up now. Yeah, I know. I'm not. Even, I'm not even gonna tell Zach to cut this. I'm just having a breakdown here. I don't know how to do the <laughs> sign off. You can also contact us by email at wisewithtydan at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at wisewithwith. Now I'm messing up here too. You can follow us on Twitter at why is with tie and one because I am usually number one, but today I am not. Rip. You can follow me, Danny Vincent, on Letterboxd at Blankments for reviews of movies, including those not in the MCU. I know it's a shock to hear I watch movies not in the MCU after you just listen to me talk for 90 minutes about no Marvel movies, but it's true. We'd also like to thank Zachary Wright for editing this episode. Thanks, Zach. Thank you, Zach. Yeah. Uh, Thank you. And next week, we have a, something to talk. We have what if. We have what if to talk about. I assume it'll be much shorter than these last three weeks of episodes. So, yeah, but it'll be a good time. Um, Ty and Dan have a four-hour episode. Yeah, exactly. We need to discuss the meaning of Baskin-Robbins. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, All right. Uh, we'll catch you in the next one.